Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hi, thanks for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Amber and Craig Damar, who have been investing in real estate together as a couple for many years and bring a wealth of experience and knowledge Amber's also a seasoned mortgage broker. We talk about their real estate portfolio, which includes multiple detached suited units, a sixplex and a fourplex, what they look for in investment property and some of the strategies to ensure a positive cash flow. I'm sure you'll enjoy the show. Hey, Amber and Craig Damar. I just wanted to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. So great to have you on today. Starting off the show, if you guys could just tell me how you got into real estate investing. Hey, Corey, thanks for having us. Pleasure being here. So yeah, we actually got started. Well, I got started. The first house I ever bought actually was in 2012 and it had a basement suite in it. So I've been a landlord for 10 years, I guess now. We didn't start getting serious about real estate investing until 2018. Actually, there was a, a real estate investing educational group that was coming through and doing a workshop here in Calgary. And, and actually Amber saw it and said, Hey, you want to go check out this three hour workshop? Cause it was free. And I thought Scott McGillivray might be there. And so that's <laughs> oh, so celebrity in the house. Yeah. And then he was, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a cutout of him. Right. Yeah. yeah. But Greg found it fantastic. So, uh, yeah. Going. So we actually ended up joining this group. They're called Keyspire and it's basically just a real estate investing education group. They just teach you all the different ways of making money. They teach you, you know, landlording, how to purchase properties, different ways of purchasing, flipping, how to build your team, rent to own, all sorts of stuff. So once we got educated a little bit, I guess we went out and bought a couple single family homes actually down in Medicine Hat. And what we did was we added basement suites to those and we hung on to them. Yeah. So it's like two doors for the price of one is how we started with suited. And then our first home we did rent to own on. The first home we ever lived in, when we sold it, we sold it as a rent to own. And that actually worked out pretty well as well. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And this Keyspire, is it a Canadian organization? Yeah, they're actually, they're based out of Ontario. And I don't know if you've ever heard of RAIN, the Real Estate Investment Network. They're quite similar to them, but more modern. And yeah, so Scott McGillivray is the face of Keyspire. Actually, him and another guy started it. So they're actually growing quite big. Yeah. I think they're actually down in the States now as well. So, but yeah, so we started buying some properties. We started doing some rent-to-owns. We've actually done probably close to 15 rent-to-owns, but we're actually kind of pivoting away from those and kind of starting to gear more towards just concentrating on the long-term holds. Because, you know, we've been seeing, especially in the last couple of years, what kind of appreciation you can get and, and just what kind of wealth you can build over the long term. So, and then we built a few properties. We built one here in Calgary, a suite of duplex. We built a six unit up in Leduc, up by Edmonton. We have a six flex in Medicine Hat that we're working on. Well, we have a little apartment building in Medicine Hat under contract. And most of our stuff is in Medicine Hat. We went out there for cash flow mostly. If you count the stuff that we have under contract, I think we're at 
34 doors now. So, Wow, that's amazing. And so you built a brand new sixplex you set up in Leduc? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool project. How long ago was that? When did you guys do that? Yeah, so we actually just took possession of it. When was that? March. March, March of this year. year. So. so the timing was excellent. <laughs> yeah. because the Alberta upswing. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Because the build took about a year. So depreciation and everything was pretty good on that just over the year. So you guys like was kind of during COVID then that you kind of locked in the price and then got the plan going and got it started and then it just finished. Wow. That's yeah, we got it. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's fully rented out at this point. And are you guys going to hold it or are you going to actually sell it? Or did you already sell it? <laughs> no, um, we plan on holding it. We're not really sellers. We kind of like to hang on to everything with exception of a few flips that have kind of landed in our lap over the last few months, I guess. But uh we like to hold everything. So yeah, we plan on holding it for the long term. Mm-hmm. Refi it. Yeah, it makes more sense to us just to hold things. And then if you need some capital out of it, just to refinance it. Yeah, makes sense. And then how come you guys decided to pivot, I guess, away from the rent to own? Was it too much headache? Was it difficult? What were some of the things that kind of made you maybe change direction there? I think it's a lot of manpower because that's essentially how I became a mortgage broker was to take over the rent to own vetting process of it. So it's definitely a moving target. And I think last year we had like 350 applications for our rent to own. So once you plug the man hours into doing the rent to owns, vetting, doing your research, seeing like, which is a go, which is a not, it was kind of like, it's, I guess, short term wealth. We were getting out of the rent to owns as opposed to taking those man hours, putting them to something else like the multifamilies, the suite homes, the long-term holds, that'll get us more of that generational wealth as opposed to rent to owns can do for us. And then probably the continual follow-up with your tenants to see, are they on track to actually get their financing, that kind of stuff, right? That would be time-consuming. Yeah, because there's a good amount of hand-holding because when you go into it, you want everyone to be successful. So you want the tenant buyer to be successful. Uh, We started bringing investors, so you want them to be successful as well. And so you definitely want to keep everyone on track and, you know, human nature, they usually don't. And so you kind of have to keep steering them back and forth and making sure that they keep their eyes on the prize and, they don't go out and buy like a Maserati. That's right. Just an oil change is 1500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. like we need to really keep the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So since 2012, you bought a house with the first basement suite and then you guys, you know, have basically got this much traction. Can you kind of just go over the timeline? Was it like one house and then two years later you did another one and then all of a sudden it just started to go exponential or how did that play out? So I guess... 2018 is when we purchased our first true rental property and that was the empty basement. So we just suited home that one. Yeah. And so then, 2018 is when we started getting serious. So we had one in 2012 and then in 2018 we bought two and then we maybe bought one or two more in 2019 and then 2020, 2021. And like the last three years have really grown a lot. Well, we started bringing investors in, and so that really helps things out too. So, yeah, yeah that we, ramped our growth, and we took advantage of those beautiful low interest rates that we had there as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, how were you guys financing most of them? Was it traditional financing or some alternative lending? We did traditional, I guess, for our first four. Yeah, most of our stuff is traditionally financed. Like Amber was saying, we have been bringing in money partners and using joint venture agreements. And then we've actually bought a couple of properties by way of agreement for sale, which is a form of seller financing. 
when you do a joint venture, maybe you could just go over some of the mechanics of that. So just maybe give me an example with just a few numbers. Just, you know, let's say you're buying a property for 400,000 and you're going to bring in someone kind of like a silent partner. Could you go through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, just to break it down really easily, it's pretty common for the money partner to bring in the money, the working partner, which would be us in our case. So we find the property, you know, we execute on the purchase, we do the renovations. So when we buy a house, we always add a basement suite or renovate it. So we handle all the renovations and then we refinance it and get our investors renovation money back. And we basically split profits right down the middle, 50-50. So our slogan is we help busy people make money in real estate. So we're essentially the boots on the ground and we put in the sweat more than anything else. So it's finding that underperforming properties or finding those properties where as sweet that increases the value. And then that's how we help get that ARV back up. Ideally, the investors taking their money back out and then they're just rinse and repeat. You're doing it over and over again. And you guys get to hold the property in the end, obviously. You got it. Yeah. So like our money partner, the title is in their name. So we hold it for long-term, but profits are split 50-50 between us and our money partner. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so you've got quite a number of doors in Medicine Hat. If we could just maybe just talk about a little bit about the sweeting process there versus Calgary, because you guys have also done suites here in Calgary as well, right? Mm-hmm. Just kind of curious some of the differences you guys have noticed dealing with the two different cities. Right. So Calgary is actually very um, secondary suite friendly. So there's an amnesty period going on in Calgary where you can buy a home that was suited pre-2018, I believe. And you only have to bring that suite to fire code. You don't have to bring it to building code. But in Medicine Hat, they actually don't have that amnesty period. I think they may have had a short one many years ago. So any property that we're adding a secondary suite to out in Medicine Hat, we have to go through the whole process of meeting fire and building code. So the main difference in that is that you have to have a second heat source for the secondary suite. So Typically, it's a furnace. You can have baseboard heating, but then you still need an ARV or something to circulate the air. So you still need all new duct work. So basically, it's a pretty big expense. So you have to tear the ceiling down. You have to add a new furnace, all new duct work. And then also you have to uh, put soundproofing insulation in and then drywall the entire ceiling back up again. So you're talking, you know, $25,000, $30,000 extra if you're doing the full gamut compared to buying one in Calgary that was suited pre-2018 and just bringing it up to fire code. So what does fire code include? Sorry, Corey, I got to ask this question. (laughs) Hey, it's a good question. You beat me to it. (laughs) It's like we're synced. (laughs) Do you want to ask the question? And so what does fire code (laughs) include? (laughs) So fire code basically means the bedroom windows have to be egress. So they have to be a certain size and they have to open a certain way. Um, basically everything has to be drywalled and smoke sealed and interconnected smoke alarms throughout the entire house. And there's a few other little ones, but that's the main ones. Okay. And then medicine hat. So they're doing a building code, which obviously is costing quite a bit more. Are you looking at kind of older properties to do this or would they be open? Like if you follow all their guidelines, could you go into say a new subdivision in a medicine hat? As long as you have a separate entrance, I guess, like a walkout. Can you do exactly what you want to do there? Or is there a reason to target older properties over new ones? Like, I'm just curious if there's anything different there. No, I don't think there would be anything different. Like they would still have to meet the same codes. So 
I mean, you could build one with a secondary suite in it. So what we usually buy is around a 1960 bungalow or a 1974 level split. I actually really like the four level splits because each really? unit then, yeah, each unit has two floors and they just seem a lot bigger. And yep. plus with those four level splits, your upper floor in your basement suite has nice big windows because they're actually above grade. So it's nice and uh, bright and open. So mm -hmm. those are the kind of houses that we target. And actually the way they're laid out, I bet you uh, your utility stuff too. So like if you're going to put a kitchen in that kind of stuff, you can usually access the utility room a little bit easier, right? In a four level split. Yeah. So the utility room is usually down in the lower basement level. So it's in the basement suite, but that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. It usually is. It's kind of a misconception that the electrical panel and stuff has to be in a common area. And that's actually not true. They can be in one of the units and they usually are. That's great information. And then for financing, have you guys done any sort of creative stuff? It sounded like you were doing a traditional and you did some vendor take back, but Amber, you could speak to this. We're being a mortgage broker. So maybe some of the financing stuff for investors, you know, some helpful advice, I guess, for financing multiple properties, especially when you get past four properties. Yeah. Because yeah, traditionally with your bank, like when you're going for a rental property, it's the 20% down that you're going to be required to put towards the purchase. So that's where we found with the agreement for sale helps because then you don't have to qualify for that mortgage and then you don't need that 20% down. So with the flip that we had just finished, it was $292 purchase price and we only had to put down $5,000 deposit to get into that property. So that freed up, you know, almost $60,000 that we would have needed just to qualify for that rental purchase. Once you start getting growing and bigger, so it kind of depends on what your plan is, because for some people who just want a couple properties, just holding it personally is fantastic. Once you're getting above, like where you're like, I want a lot of doors, like this is what I want to do, I'm, you know, here to dominate. That's where the holding co comes in. And then it's chatting with your bank just to see which bank's going to work best for you and in the, in the areas that you're working in. And then what you want to build, whether it's multis or single family homes or kind of where you want to continue. In an AFS agreement for sale situation, basically we would just take over the seller's mortgage payments, property tax and insurance payments. A title stays in the seller's name. So that's kind of how that works. Just to clarify that a little bit for your listeners. Another thing like for financing, Every bank is so much different. Basically, you just have to keep asking different banks. It's kind of a misconception too, I think, that once you get to a certain amount of properties, you know, you're kind of done. But really, you just have to go ask different banks. Lots of banks will actually finance up to, you know, eight, 10 properties, maybe not all with them, but they'll allow you to have that many. And just there's so many different programs out there and stuff too, like with our Leduc purchase, we actually bought it through our Holdco, our corporation, but we got personal financing on it. So typically when you're buying with a Holdco, you only get a 75% loan to value and you get a higher interest rate as well, because usually it's commercial, but they actually did it as a personal mortgage. So we bought it with our corporation, but we were still able to get an 80% loan to value and, you know, a really good rate on it. So. And different lender guidelines, which... It takes a little bit of legwork as well. And again, like reaching out to your friendly neighborhood mortgage brokers and having friends who are investors and things like that really helps to, I guess, expedite that process. Mm -hmm, and then you kind of know sure. which direction where to go as well. Like as long as your numbers are working, banks are, you know, they're going to look at you and be like, yeah, like we'll keep giving you money because you don't have a bunch of properties that you're losing money on and that kind of thing too. So depends how each lender views the properties you have. And if your properties are, 
you know, really contributing to your portfolio or not. Yeah, for sure. And then with the financing of say, because I've heard once you get to six doors, I think it's over four, it's actually, you're now a commercial property, right? So the lending rules are different, right? Can you speak to that a little bit about if someone were going to buy, say a fourplex versus a sixplex, what's some of the differences there? So mainly loan to value is what's going to be affected. Rates will be affected and then how they qualify you in the building. Because once you start getting to that commercial realm, then the property kind of starts to qualify as opposed to the mortgage holder. Okay. So they don't necessarily look at you individually at that point, uh, your salary, or if you've been employed, like how you would a uh, traditional mortgage. So it's going to be, look at the numbers of the unit, right? So it's both, like you, you get a little oh. bit of both. Like, so the building you're purchasing still kind of has to uh, qualify on its own as well, if that makes sense. So they're still yeah. going to look at that property. They're going to scrutinize it just as much as they'll kind of like look at you. Okay. And then, you know, when someone goes for a home mortgage and the mortgage broker always gets paid a fee, it's different, right? When you go into the commercial world, isn't it your client has to pay the mortgage fee? Is that right? Or am I wrong on that? Such a good Scott Peckford question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're plugging my brother. <laughs> yeah, he like keeps me, uh, you know, reliable and knowledgeable. Uh, so commercial is different because with mortgage brokers too, a lot of people ask like, why am I going to use a mortgage broker? One of the highlights is that we do the legwork for you. So especially with the residential mortgages, we pull your credit one time and then we can go look at different lenders, look at different products. You're not going from bank to bank and getting your credit report pulled over and over and over again. And plus we're doing the work for you and the lender pays us. So when you do get to the commercial side of it, which I am guilty of not being in, the broker sets the rate, the fee, sorry, the broker fee, and then you have the lender fee, which I think is traditionally around one to 2%. Yeah, it's... Somewhere in there, but yeah, you're right. The buyer does pay the broker in a commercial mortgage. That's right. Yeah. So just something to consider or to be aware of anyway, if you're going kind of past the four doors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like as an investor, it's a good idea to use brokers too, because you know, a, a broker who does investment properties and knows investment properties is very valuable to an investor to get more mortgages and yeah. properties. So yeah, because even like lender guidelines change daily. Like they have new programs, guidelines, what to do, what not to do. So especially if you have a, an investor-focused mortgage broker, that really helps because it's a different pulse to be on than if you're doing the residential stuff. For sure. Yeah. And then just to circle back, so with Medicine Hat, what was the connection there? Was it primarily just the numbers look good or did you have family there? What was your reason for Medicine Hat, say versus Lethbridge or you know, somewhere else? I think it was a little bit of both. So it was nice to go to Medicine Hat because we were familiar with the area. Our family was there. And, you know, like you're going to visit grandma for Thanksgiving, you might as well look at a couple houses while you're there too. <laughs> Fill in the awkward times. So, uh, it worked for us because we wanted to build a team. We wanted to keep going. And so it was nice to have even family members there just to kind of pick up some of the areas that we needed help with. So Craig's mom, she shows sweets for us every once in a while. She's doing walkthroughs. My dad retired in June from UFA and now he's our landscaper. <laughs> like, <laughs> my sister's been painting. She does property management for us. Like, so we have like a really, really, really good team and we're invested and they're invested in us. So they want to see us succeed as well. So they gave us a little bit extra, I think. And so that really helped us grow. And then even having family there, like when you need to find a contractor or a painter or a handyman, then someone usually knows someone. So that I think really helped us to avoid some trial and errors when it came to some trades. So yeah, we have quite a few connections down in Medicine Hat. And just to build on what Amber was saying, 
cash flow actually was a big draw down there. So even to this day, it's really hard to cash flow in Calgary. So the smaller centers are definitely a little bit more attractive if cash flow is something that you're after. Makes sense. Yeah. Obviously with things changing the way they are, it's going to be even harder to cash flow in Calgary, right? Like to find that the sweet property that's going to give you the 1% back kind of thing. Oh yeah. Even in medicine, like when we first started buying, we were paying, you know, 230, well, we're still paying 230, but um, we were paying 230,000 for a house. We put a 80, $90,000 reno in it, refinance that 80, 90 back out. And we were cash flowing, you know, up to $800 sometimes a month on those properties. And now just with the interest rates where they are and, and whatnot, yeah, rents have gone up too, but just haven't kept pace, I guess, with the interest rates. You know, we're looking at like $300 a month now cash flow yeah. with our newest properties. But still cash flowing. Still cash still flowing. Still cash flowing. Yeah. Yeah. But just not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's yeah. the gold star right there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That's such good information. So what would you guys say would be an attractive property for an investor and why? So if we're going to do a burr on a property and add a secondary suite, we always look for a house that has three bedrooms upstairs just to maximize the rent on the top unit. And we look for a house that's relatively cheap and easy to add a two bedroom secondary suite in the basement. So it's got to have the second entrance, whether it's a side door or back door or, you know, some houses have the little dugout stairs to the basement. Good layout. Something has a good layout to it. <laughs> you know, so you said the second entrance. Have you bought any without the second entrance and saw, okay, we can just have one put in? Have you done that or you just totally avoid it? No. We've avoided it thus far, thank goodness. Because they are expensive to put in another entrance, especially if you have to dig down into the ground to get it. For sure. Uh, it's just an engineering nightmare that if you can avoid it, you might as well avoid it. Because Yeah, for sure. Well, a house that we used to live in, we thought about doing it and we got some quotes on it. And I think we were looking at like close to $40,000 just to dig the entrance. Yeah. So oh, in my head, I was thinking maybe 15 or something. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, like 40. a shovel and a door, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, entrance. Yeah. yeah, so I think so far, even getting more seasoned as an investor it helps to not focus on one house, just knowing like there's lots of houses out there, even if it's, you know, markets in short supply so that you don't get really dug into one. And then in your brain, you're trying to make it work. We found like that's kind of where you get trapped because then you're just pouring money into it because you have this vision and you're like, this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, like we're in a negative situation. And so I think that's really helped us too. It's just knowing like this one doesn't work out. You know, there's going to be another house for sale. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. 24 hours from now. Yeah. Keep emotion out of it. It's a good mm-hmm. rule for investors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then why the three bedrooms up? It's a rental thing, right? For return. It'll maximize your rents. And it's also the best for tenant retention because the one bedrooms have a higher tenant turnover than the larger ones do. Mm-hmm. For Makes sure. sense. And obviously you guys being creative investors and being able to do the flips and everything, I'm sure you see a two bedroom that you'd be like, oh, look, we can put a third bedroom right here, you know, and turn it into a third bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we've actually bought one like that, but we've tried. We've put offers in on a few different ones out in Medicine Hat again. You know, some of them had two living rooms kind of, so we're like, oh, here, we'll put another bedroom here kind of thing. But we actually haven't bought one like that, but we certainly wouldn't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Can you tell me, like, is there a renter profile that you guys look for? Is there an area that you're kind of prefer when you're buying these investment properties? Yeah. So 
we're quite picky with tenants. You know, we've been doing it for a while now, so we've learned to do, you know, our due diligence for sure. So our ideal tenant, I guess, would be a couple without kids. Not because I don't like kids, but <laughs> we have five of them. Kids, yeah. kids damage things and are <laughs> really loud. You know what they do. Yeah. Uh, but we are pet friendly. And I think, especially during COVID, that seemed to highlight a lot of the tenants that were looking for places, especially with people with pets, like they're good long term tenants. They tend to take care of like things like the yard and whatnot because it's their home and it's their pet's home. People who have pets love their pets. And I think during COVID, when a lot of landlords were selling, especially during that upswing in the Alberta market, we were getting a lot of applicants with pets. And so we interviewed the client and the pet. So if we make the dog and your dog's freaking out, we're like, you know what? Like they might not do well in a suite at home where someone's living above and might have a dog of their own. So, yeah. So a couple and both of them working was pretty key. And for some reason, we attract a lot of healthcare. We get a lot of healthcare people. A lot of nurses. Yeah. Nurse and pharmacist, yeah. We find that a pretty good gauge on what kind of a person is, if they can hold down a job or not. So it's worked pretty good for us so far. Yeah. Check your references. Yeah, 100%. Check your references. <laughs> for sure. 100%. And I'm kind of curious. So you guys are obviously doing a fair amount of renos. How extensive are these renos? And what do the finishes look like? Because you, you basically, you want to get a good tenant in. You want it to look good. But are you going to put in the quartz countertop? Or what are you doing in the unit to make it appealing, but not overspend? I think it kind of depends on the area because you don't want to out renovate what the neighborhood will hold because then you're just sinking money in something that you're never going to get your money back out of. You do want to make it durable enough so that tenants can come and go and you're not constantly doing like maintenance and replacement. And for us, like my golden rule is like, if I wouldn't live in there, I don't want anyone else living in there. And so if I'm going in there and I'm like, you know what, like I love to have my family over here. I'd love to invite friends over here. I would take some pride in this space then I think that will trickle down to the tenants as well because they also want to have that pride in that space and they're more likely to take care of it as well. Yeah, so just to build on that a bit, we do really good renovations and there's a lot of reasons for it. It's easier to attract tenants. The rent is obviously better. It's easier to retain tenants. And then on the business side of it, you know, you get that money back out anyway from your renovation because it brings your after repair value up. So on your refinance, you you get that money back out anyway. So. Yeah, makes sense. So that's all good advice for sure. So like luxury vinyl plank flooring, LVP, right? You're not going to obviously do carpets, that kind of stuff. It's got to be durable and uh, be able to handle the... Yeah, we always go LVP. We do nice white shaker cabinets, you know, fresh paint, baseboards, LED lights. We like to do, you know, new hardware. I like to put in new doors most of the time too, but sometimes we don't We just, you know, new black hardware on everything kind of spiffs everything up pretty nice. Yeah, was trendy. Typically, we don't put quartz in. You know, you can put 10 countertops in for the price of one quartz countertop. So typically, we just go with a vinyl product. Yeah, it makes sense. And then the bathrooms, you're kind of just doing what you need to do there to keep them going, or are you actually doing any changes? I think we usually end up gutting because most of our bathrooms we find are pretty ugly. So it's like our last one's like pink tub, pink toilet, <laughs> pink sink. Yeah. And yeah. We, and we want to keep the retro, but. Uh, yeah. You want it stylish too. So I think we've done guts on pretty much most of them. We like to tile them. Yeah. Tile floor, tile shower. It looks good. And it's not actually that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Can we just talk a little bit about that sixplex? Cause you guys built new and now you're doing one as a flip, right? Can you talk about maybe how you found it? Some of the challenges that you're maybe find dealing with a six unit building as compared to say a detached house. Sorry. Are you talking about the flip that we're doing? 
Oh, is it a fourplex flip? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk yeah, about like we, that. Yeah. we built the sixplex and we have a sixplex under contract in Medicine Hat and we're also flipping. Okay. Yeah. The fourplex. Sorry. I get it. You guys have a lot of stuff. We could actually talk all evening and tomorrow, I'm sure, because <laughs> there's just like so much stuff here, so much content. Yeah. We have if a we could chart with red yarn in our office too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we could talk about how the fourplex, I guess, flipping that, is it totally vacant then? Or are you doing one unit at a time? What are you doing there? Yeah, so we took possession of that place about two months ago. A couple of the units are vacant. A couple of them are still tenanted. They will all be vacant here shortly. So we're renovating a couple of units right now. It's actually a really old building. And we originally, when we started looking at it, we were looking at it for a, a long-term hold. But the numbers just didn't really seem to make sense with the after repair value. I think it's going to be quite high. But once you get a mortgage on that after repair value, it didn't look like it was going to cash flow enough to hold on to. So we kind of hummed and hawed. And then we have an investor who basically just said, well, what does it look like as a flip? So then we ran the numbers on the flip and it seemed like it'll be fairly profitable. So we just went that route. Why not, right? We haven't done that yet. Might as well give it a try. I like that. And now I want to ask about your unconventional naming because you guys have so many properties that you're dealing with so you're not trying to remember the street name what are you guys doing right so actually amber's a lot more creative on that side of things because i usually just name something as to where it's close to or landmarks or sort of but amber you can tell them about your <laughs> fancy names that yeah because uh i have adhd i'm pretty sure it's just undiagnosed but uh <laughs> um so it helps to keep me engaged and then it sinks into your brainstem better than like oh it's on 11th street and i'm like i don't know where that is so our latest look was the curveball. So I call that one the curveball because we don't usually swing at curveballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this one was too good to lay off of. So, uh, yeah, so we weren't flippers. And no. But this one, it kind of fell on our lap by the agreement for sale part of it. So that's why we decided to flip that project. So it made sense. And then our last sweet home, I called the green monster. Again, baseball term, but it's a huge screen house. Like it's monstrous. So <laughs> very impressive. So we're like, this house can be amazing. And then our latest acquisition, I've darkly named the Kill House with the slogan, we're going to turn it from kill to chill. Oh. <laughs> and so, and everyone's just like, kind of like, how did you name it the Kill House? But yeah, you know. yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that will not go on MLS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't in the details in the MLS listing, but. Uh, so when I went and looked at this house, this was the first house I went and looked at solo without Craig. And we had our contractors with us. And literally, like, you walked into this house. I'm like, there's so many questions <laughs> when you walk in. And so when you enter the home, there's like this beautiful dual fireplace with this gas line hanging out. And you're like, all right, so definitely non-smoking. And then they were like, let's see what red paint looks like. So they did like a splatter here and a splatter there and a splatter there. Wow. And I was like, that's normal. And then they started painting like the doors black, but like, I think I got like 37% done and then called it quits. And then you go downstairs and there's like an entryway built in because this home was already legally suited. So we're like, oh, this is amazing. It's gonna be fantastic. So you go downstairs and the entryway to the basement suites, actually the door screwed shut. So we're like, okay, there's no getting out. <laughs> like, what's your name? <laughs> and then you go down to the laundry room and there's like these two locked rooms that we're both like, I'm not even opening this until like, there's someone like- Somebody you know, else with no me. Priest, yeah. young priest is here. <laughs> and then you go into the suite and it was like 
thoroughly trashed, I think. We actually had squatters in there. There probably so, wasn't a lineup of buyers like knocking on that door, I bet. No, yeah, like so. there's a lot of pain points. And so even <laughs> like downstairs, I'm like, oh, it's a one bedroom. And then I'm like, oh, it's a two bedroom. There's this window, but you open the window and it looks into the laundry room. Yeah. But then the joke became like, is someone looking out or someone looking in? So yeah, like it was a smoking deal to say the least because the tenants that were in there were hoarders and then the landlord that had it was you know slummy and so he was a slumlord but yeah it was attractive to squatters so we had squatters in there before we took possession yeah this house is a total piece of junk but (laughs) but the price was really good and it's already legally sweeted so it's going to turn out really nice and the returns are going to be in the long run yeah yeah if you see the potential you saw the potential exactly where most people they just you know if they're not an investor they probably only walk in if they do they just turn right around and leave oh 100 like why do you want a door that's screwed shut you're like that doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) that's right So with the market pulling back, what are some of the challenges you guys are seeing in the current market? And what are some of the opportunities as investors? In the current market, I'd say the biggest headwind is cash flow, finding cash flow in properties with interest rates where they are. But I think with that, there's going to be some really good opportunities. It sounds like, you know, they're going to keep increasing interest rates for the next few months. Hopefully it'll peak sometime late this year, early next year. And definitely some stuff's going to go on sale during those peak times. So we're going to be keeping our eye open for sure for some deals during those times. Next, yeah, I think even some landlords who are struggling to get that cash flow, they find an opportunity now where the market has bumped up a little bit. And so they're looking for an opportunity to get out and maybe buildings that do need work and they don't want to put the work in. And so there's still deals to be made out there if you want to put in some of the sweat equity to make them worthwhile, make them work. Yeah, I mean, you got to look long term, right? Because if there's going to be deals while interest rates are, you know, locking in on a fixed rate now, you're getting close to 6% probably, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, you got to look long term, right? If you can find a good deal, interest rates aren't going to be this high forever. So hopefully you can get a good deal in a couple of years. You'll be cash flowing like crazy. Yeah, good advice. Now I'm going to hit you guys with some quick questions. Throw the answers out at me. (laughs) Okay, rapid fire. What's something people can't find out about you guys on Google? I went backpacking in uh, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, and Thailand when I was 20 for a year. And uh, that was pretty darn cool. That would be. So mine's equally as cool. I was the silver medalist provincial champion for arm wrestling in Saskatchewan. (laughs) What? Farm girls. (laughs) Girls are tough. That was in like 1994. And then I was also the fall fair tractor pull champion oh, in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> Yours is more cool, actually. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure, yeah. And I also wrestled the grease pig when I was like four. So <laughs> I know we go. <laughs> anyway, maybe, it's, maybe it's good Google wasn't around then. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and how about have you guys ever arm wrestled then? Uh, yeah. Each other. You have? Yeah. Every time she gets a few drinks in her sheet, she thinks she's <laughs> But I can leg wrestle them right to the ground. Oh, yeah. Leg wrestle? <laughs> no chance. That's awesome. She's got big, long legs. It's all the technique. technique. <laughs> okay, so what's an app that you guys use for your business that you couldn't live without? Or software? Deal check? That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Deal check is where we run all our numbers on our investment properties. And it works for furs as well as just buying holds. It's amazing. Yeah, dealcheck.io. We're not getting any royalties or anything. We have no affiliation with them, but it's amazing software and it's free. We fell in love with that one. 
And I got to say Dropbox too. Everyone wants to use Google Drive, but <laughs> I think Dropbox is 100% way better. Yeah, we can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I say like Google Calendar, so I'm just keeping our calendar sync. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one too. Yeah, for make. sure. And then what's a favorite book of your guys's? Uh, well, yeah, I guess, you know what? <laughs> it's super cliche and whatever, but actually I didn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad until a few months ago because I was kind of like, oh, I'm already of that mindset kind of thing. But it was so good. I, yeah. It's already invested <laughs> in it. So it's good yeah. dog believer. Yeah. And mine's 1984 because it oh. is an amazing book. Craig's read it and he hates it. I thought it's <laughs> so it's still <laughs> applicable to today. It's shocking. So let's not get into politics. I know <laughs> the desk is so jacking. So good. Well, guys, thanks for the awesome chat and sharing your wealth of knowledge. What's the best way for people to find you online? So we are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Equityempire.co is our Instagram handle. TikTok just at Equity Empire. And yeah. then our website is craigandamber.com. Or you can just give us a phone call if you want, 403-466-5227. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. So much fun talking to you guys. Oh, thanks for having us. It was awesome. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent. I also have a certification as a master home inspector. I'm currently partnering on a property flip in Calgary with Shirley Evans, who I consider to be a professional property flipper. Shirley has a wealth of real estate knowledge. We're going to be offering Eventbrite meetups at the property. So if you're in the Calgary area, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my number is 587-893-2272. You can follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or check out my website and that's just CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, you can also join our new Facebook group, Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. That's Craig for short. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.